Matthew 5, beginning verse 3. And at the end of this, we, we've tried an experiment, and, and you've not done awesome at it, at responding to the Scripture, to, to say it lightly. Somebody suggested, well, Pastor, put the words on the screen. Maybe people will. So we're going to try that, and we're going to, uh, we're going to keep moving through this, okay? And, and at least for this series, I'm not saying we're always going to do this, but I just feel like it's necessary that we take time to acknowledge that this is the Word of the Lord. Uh, and, and so at the end of this, I'll say, this is the Word of God for the people of God. And your response is, let's try that like we mean it. Your response is, be to God. Ooh, I'm excited now. <laughs> Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, God. That was awesome. You guys can be seated. Are you thankful for the word of God? I got to tell you, I'm thankful for the Word of God. I, I'm thankful that as, as I preach, as I'm a pastor, that, that I can stand up and I can read Scripture. And when I'm talking to you, th these aren't just my words, but these are the words of Jesus that we're focusing on. Aren't you, aren't you glad, Dr. Purdue, when you go to churches, it, it's just not your wisdom, but, but you can give them God's wisdom, that you can rely on God's Word as you present a message? I am thankful for the Word of God. And, and, and every time I read the Word of God, God speaks through His Word. And, and I believe He wants to speak through His Word today. Uh, you ever hear the phrase, you are what you eat? <laughs> How many jelly donuts are out there this morning? Yeah, right? We've all heard that phrase. We understand the concept. You are what you eat. It matters what we consume physically. But, but, but I think even more than that, it matters what we consume intellectually. It matters what we consume spiritually. It matters what we consume emotionally, relationally. The things that we bring in have an effect on who we become. You, you are what you consume. You, you are what you eat. And, and Jesus is inviting us. Jesus is encouraging us. Jesus is giving us the invitation to consume righteousness. To, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we've been moving through the Beatitudes and... And, and really the, the, key, the, the key point as we move through the Beatitudes has been that the Beatitudes represent attitudes which allow us to fully reclaim our place as God's obedient children. That, that's God's desire for you. That's God's desire for me. That, that's God's desire for all of humanity that we come to this place of full submission, full obedience to Him. And in that place of obedience and submission, there is life and hope and blessing. 
God doesn't just want us to, to, to worship Him, just to worship Him, but in that worship and in that giving of ourselves to Him, we find life. And the Beatitudes represent attitudes that allow us to move in that direction. Now, now as I see the Beatitudes, I, I don't see the Beatitudes as, as progressive in, in that you move from one to the next and then you forget the other. I, I see them as, as building foundation upon foundation. That, that, that when, when Jesus invites us to be in poor in spirit, that, that when, once we've been poor in spirit, we don't move past that and then become proud, right? You know, I think kingdom people remain poor in spirit. They remain humble. Jesus invites us to mourn and, and, I, and I believe as believers we, we don't move past mourning, that we continue to mourn for, for, for the, our failures and for a broken and lost world. Folks, you don't have to look you don't have to watch the news too much to begin to mourn for a broken world. For, for a world in chaos. We've seen the poor in spirit and they see God. We've seen the, those who mourn, they see themselves. And, and, and then last week we talked about the meek or the gentle. And, and we saw that meekness is not weakness, but it's strength under the control of God. And, and these are the folks that, that after they've seen themselves and they've seen God and they see the task, they realize the task is bigger than themselves and they put themselves under God's control. And this week... Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. You know, we, we really don't understand. Most of us have, have never really had to deal with hunger and thirst to the extent that those who would have heard these words from Jesus understood hunger and thirst. Uh, so some of us have fasted. I, you know, I, I can remember I, I fasted when I was um, in law school, and it wasn't for any spiritual reason. Uh, you know, I was just kind of fasting. I wasn't trying to lose weight, just kind of seeing what it was like to fast. And, and so I went several days. You know what I was dreaming about? Little Debbie Swiss cake rolls. That's right. Uh, uh, but, but I, you know, so we, we'll, we'll be hungry and with a fast or something like this. But these people understood real hunger and real thirst because they, they only ate at the best two meals a day. They only had meat once a week. And sometimes food was a little bit more scarce, and they didn't have a McDonald's or a or an Arby's or a Burger King or a, uh, any kind of restaurant down the street. There was no big Kroger's, and so if they didn't have food, then they went hungry. And and water was even more scarce. There was times it was not available. And so when Jesus talked about hunger and thirst, this, this was something that they had a realistic understanding of. As I'm watching TV and the Tom Hanks movie Castaway was on. Anybody ever see Castaway? You know, and Tom Hanks is on that island and, you know, he gets pretty thin by the time, you know, I thought maybe that's the diet I need to go on, that they need to just put me on an island for a while and see what happens. Uh, but you know he has to he has to try to find water and he has to he has to try to find some food and you know he tries to, he tries to fish and and he understood hunger and thirst in, in the in the movie and the narrative of the story. But most of us have full pantries, 
and full refrigerators. Most of you, I know I do, most of us have stuff that's been in our freezer since Ronald Reagan was president. And, and I would be afraid to eat it, but I'm also too cheap to throw it out. Anybody else like that? Right? Most of us don't deal with hunger and thirst on a daily basis. And I guess the point is that, that Jesus is really not talking about a physical hunger and thirst. It's, it's more than just physical thirst or physical hunger. And, 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 and I guess the question is, what do you want most in life? Think about that. Well, what is the thing that you desire most in life? There's an old story about Pat Riley. Pat Riley coached the Lakers, then he coached the Knicks, then he coached the Heats. He's a, a Kentucky Wildcat. And, and, and the story is that in one of these teams, he's trying to, to illustrate how much they needed to want to win. And he's talking to the guys, and, 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 and he has a bucket of water in front of him, and he sticks his head in the bucket of water. And he, he holds it under for a long time and finally he pulls his head out and you know he's gasping for breath and he says, you'll want to win when you want to win as much as I wanted that next breath. <laughs> That's an image of somebody really wanting something. You know, our big dreams, those things that we're desperate for, you know, a few months ago, I talked about my all-in and you know this this plan or this dream of running the Boston Marathon. And some of you've asked me, are, 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 "Have you given up on that yet?" No, I haven't. <laughs> I'm still working. You know, and 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 so I, I I'm in my basement uh, running in my treadmill because I am not going to run in negative 20 degrees weather. I don't want it that much. I'm not insane. And I'm lifting weights and doing all these things and you know last week I was down in the basement and I'm doing barbell dead squats and can I tell you I really didn't want to do it but there's something I want at the end of it so I push through now, now, now that, that's not the most important thing in my life but I am pushing through it's not my deepest desire what we're talking about is what's your deepest desire. The, the, the most important thing in your life. What, what do you look at in your life and say, if this could happen, then I will be living at that point of blessing. If this could happen, I will truly be happy. If I never run the Boston Marathon, guess what? I'll still be happy and I'm the most blessed person ever. But what's that thing in your life that you think, if this will happen, until this happens, I won't have blessing or happiness or peace or joy. See, oftentimes, we associate symptoms or peripheral things with blessing and happiness. Sometimes we say when we achieve a certain amount of money, you know, when our 401k is funded a certain amount or we have a certain amount in savings or the house is paid off or the debts are paid off, then we will be at this point. I will be happy. I will be fulfilled. I will be blessed. 
Sometimes it's power and sometimes it's pleasure. These are the things we associate with happiness and blessing. Sometimes it's family. You know, when I'm married, when I have kids, when I have grandkids, when the kids are in school, when their kids are back from school, when, you know, all these things that, that happen in our life, we associate with blessing and happiness. Last week we talked about how Jesus is always talking about this third way. <laughs> That, that, you know, we, we, we see things in two dimensions and Jesus constantly sees things in three dimensions and, and sees a third way. And, and, and so there was all these different avenues they thought they could inherit the land if they, if they submitted, if they revolted, if they, if they withdrew, if they did everything perfectly. And, and Jesus said, no, the way you inherit the land, if you want to inherit this land, fully submit to God. And, and Jesus gives us a third way here. See, if you're simply pursuing blessing, you will never find it. If happiness is the point of your life, and that's all you pursue is happiness, you'll miss it. D. Martin Jones D. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his studies on the Sermon on the Mount says this, We are not to hunger and thirst after, after blessedness. We are not to hunger and thirst after happiness. But that is what most people are doing. We put happiness and blessedness as the one thing we desire, and thus we always miss it. It always eludes us. According to the scriptures, happiness is never something that should be sought directly. It's always something that results from seeking something else. <laughs> Let me give you an illustration. I want you to assume that you go to your doctor. And, and uh, you, know, you, you, you tell your doctor, doctor, it hurts when I do this. And the doctor, of course, says, well, stop doing... No, no. That was funny for me. You guys didn't have to laugh. So you go to the doctor and you tell him about a symptom and the doctor treats the symptom. He gives you pain medication because your leg's hurting. But the problem's not the pain. The pain is the symptom. See, pain is a good thing in your life most of the time because it alerts you that something is wrong with your body. Right? See, you don't want doctors to treat the symptom. You want them to treat the problem. And see, when we pursue simply happiness and blessing, we're treating the symptom instead of the problem. The, the goal is not happiness and blessing. The goal is righteousness. I thought I'd get at least one amen on that. The goal in your life is not blessing, but righteousness. See, there's a change in focus here. It, 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 it's not always easy. Can, can, can we all admit that, that although that, that may be true and, and we may be able to acknowledge that's true, that that is sometimes hard to live like that? Because happiness is here and we see it and it's like the carrot on the stick and it draws us and it compels us and it's so close. It's not natural 
to let go of some of these symptoms. I would say this, though, happiness and blessing is a moving target. Anybody ever notice that? That, it, that it's always changing? That, that, that once you get this debt paid off, there's that debt. And, and once you get this achieved, there's this achievement. And once this happens, there's that. I, I can remember um, Terry and I, once we got married, you know, as you know, somebody that, that almost the first thing they said, oh, well, you'll really be happy when you have kids. It's like there's always one more thing. Uh, when we travel, uh, I, I'm a bad person to travel with. You don't want to ride with me. Because I always believe that there's better restaurants at the next exit. <laughs> Anybody with me? And so we've been in some bad situations and ate some bad food because I just had this firm belief that the next exit, happiness and blessing, if that's all we pursue, becomes kind of that elusive. That it's just oh, around the bend. It's, it's just around the corner. If I could just get... And Jesus invites us to this place of living where we're not so concerned about circumstances, but we're concerned about relationship with Him. So what is righteousness? And it means to be right. <laughs> uh, Right-wise with God and with others. So, some translations use the word just, and, and some say doing right. Uh, D.A. Carson says, righteousness means a pattern of life in conformity to God's will. What we've been talking about, is, it, it's God on the throne. It's, it's being obedient children. It's, it, it's living right with God. But it's deeper than just a pattern. As we're talking about this, this, is, this righteousness and right-wiseness is a relationship word. It's, it's a right relationship with God. Lloyd-Jones in his commentary writes this, the man who hungers, and, and, and this is a little bit longer, but bear with me because I think this is dynamite. The man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is the man that sees, who sees that sin and rebellion have separated them from the face of God and longs to get back into that old relationship, the original relationship of righteousness in the presence of God. But it goes further still. It means a desire to be free from the very desire of sin because we find that the man who truly examines himself in the light of scriptures not only discovers that he's in bondage of sin and still more horrible is the fact that he likes it, that he wants, that he wants it, even after he sees it, has seen it's wrong, he still wants it. But now the man who hungers and thirsts after righteousness is a man who wants to get rid of that desire for sin, not, long, not only outside, but inside as well. In other words, he longs for the deliverance from what we, you may call the pollution of sin. Sin is something that pollutes the very essence, the very nature of our being and nature. The Christian is the one who desires to be free of all that. Christ-likeness. Holiness. 
As a matter of fact, some, somewhere I read, and I, I couldn't find it. It was in my notes as I prepared, but I could not find the, the original source. But, but, but there's a translation somewhere that says, you will be satisfied if you're as desperate for holiness as you are for water and food. <laughs> But when the most important thing in your life becomes righteousness, becomes Christ-likeness, becomes holiness, you'll be satisfied. That, that God will meet that desire of your heart. And in that meeting of your desire, you'll be blessed. Can we go back to an original question? What do you want most in life? And this isn't, you know, you're not, you're not yelling this out, right? But this is just as the Spirit speaking to you as, as you're honestly responding to that question. What is it you want most in life? What are you starving for? Are you seeking a symptom, not the source? J.N. Darby says this, To be hungry is not enough. I must be starving to know what is in his heart towards me. When the prodigal son was hungry, he went to feed upon the husk. But when he was starving, he turned to the father. Are you feeding on husk? Are you eating with pigs? Don't look around at your neighbor when I say that. Are you eating husk? When God's offering what really satisfi satisfies? Now, and as I speak, preach this, I'm preaching to people that came to an 8.30 service. An 8.30 a.m. service on daylight savings time Sunday. Like, that should get you right into heaven, right? Amen. My goodness. You guys, and, and at least two-thirds of you are awake. <laughs> I tell you, so, so I understand. You, you ever hear the phrase, I'm preaching to the choir. Do you want more of God? Say, eh, that's enough. You know, let me, let me get into heaven and, you know, then let me do, you know, just, do you want more of God? See, 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 I don't think this hunger and thirst is a one-time thing. I, I don't think this is a, a one-time, okay, God satisfied me once. I had a good altar experience. I had a good Bible study. I had a good time. And, and now I'm just going to kind of coast to the finish line. You know, the, the gas tank says I've got enough to get me all the way to heaven. How, how many in here... And, you know, raise your hand if, if this is the truth. How many in here have only ate one time in your life? Yeah. Nobody does, right? You know, we, we, we eat. It, it's, it's, it's a daily thing. Carson writes, The person who hungers and thirsts for righteousness is blessed by God and filled. But the righteousness with which he's filled is so wonderful that he hungers and thirsts for more of it. 
This is a built-in cycle of growth. This is a built-in cycle of growth. It's easy to understand as soon as we remember that righteousness in this text refers not to obeying some rules, but conformity to all of God's will. The more a person pursues conformity to God's will, the more attractive the goal becomes, and the greater the advances made. Maybe this is the better question. Has your desire for God increased? If you've served God a long time, do you want Him more now than you did 20 years ago? We took Dylan when he was two or three to his first movie, and it was Toy Story 2. Yeah, you know, and so we we watched Toy Story 2, and Dylan's two or three, and and you know he's used to watching movies at home, and so if you watched a movie at home, you could watch it again, and so the movie ended, and Dylan went again. <laughs> we had to take that kid screaming and fighting because he just wanted it to happen again. Do, do, do you experience God like that? Where you just say, oh, again. God, I want, it, I want it to experience more of you. I don't know why this, this came to me and Amy and I was talking about this this morning, but this just this week, this, this phrase came to me. Full altars are not the mark of an immature church, but a mature church. That, that, that when we neglect responding to God, that, that's not a mark of maturity, but a mark of immaturity. And, and I firmly believe that, that, that as we pursue God, and as we experience God, we want to pursue God more and experience God more. Matthew 6, 33, but seek His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. That, that somehow Jesus is inviting us to pursue Him with our whole being every day, all the time. You know, most of you will eat through the week. And, and, and I got to tell you, I, I just really think that we need to, you know, sometimes we get in these arguments that holiness is this and holiness is that. And, and you know, sometimes we get in the, the arguments or we talk about or talk about crisis versus process. Can I tell you, I believe holiness is transformation and formation. It's not an either or. God's really been working um, on me through this. There, are, there has been crisis moments in my holiness experience. There, there have definitely been moments where at an altar I have experienced God transformational power in a crisis. But I also believe as good, method, good Wesleyans who defined holiness through a method <laughs> that there is a process to this that, that, that there is formation times that there's daily times that there's feeding daily on God that contributes to our holiness are you filling up through the week uh, are, are you in the word 
Are, are, are you spending regular times feeding on holiness and righteousness and thinking about God? You know, I, I've heard the phrase my whole adult life, and, 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 and i got to tell you, if you've said it, I've probably said it, I think the phrase is nonsense. The, the, the older I get, the more it sounds like nonsense to me, where, where people will say, well, Sunday morning kind of gets me through the week. What? You know, it, this is, these are great times. But folks, if we're not daily dying, if we're not starving for God every day, we're missing the invitation of Jesus. We're missing a Savior that came and tore the veil in two so that we can experience God in our day-to-day -day life wherever we find ourselves. What Amy was talking about. In the humdrum of life, you can experience God. Are you hungry for Him there? We're going to close with communion this morning. and i got to tell you, I've struggled... With, with this sermon and I've struggled with where to go with it and you know I struggled with whether to do communion it felt like the right thing but, but I also think that there's some folks in this sanctuary today that you really need to meet God at the altar you do and, and I'm speaking prophetically as your pastor that, that you need to spend some quality time saying God my desire for you is not the same now as it was 20 years ago and I'm relying on a decades old experience and God I want to hunger and thirst I want to be desperate for you today and you need to wrestle with him at an altar and say, God, plant within me that seed of desperation again. Help me to not be satisfied, but to fully seek you. So while we serve or we talk about communion today or we receive it, the, the question's simple. Is Jesus enough? Is he, is he enough? Here, here's the reality. There's a lot of things that will fill, fill us. <laughs> this physical body will eventually wear out and fell me. The, the, the truth is that, that sometimes our finances will fill us. The, the, the truth is sometimes our employer will, will fell us. Relationships can fell us. You may have had a spouse that's felled you. You may have had a family member that felled you. Governments will fell us. May it never be. Churches can fell us. My desire is it never happens. But folks, pastors can fell us. The only one that won't fell us is Jesus. Amen. And so we pursue all these other things and the reality is it's like you're building on sand. All the disciples were leaving Jesus 
Jesus turns to his inner circle and goes, you guys going to leave too? And they say that word, those words <laughs> that just cut me to my core. They say, where else are we going to go? Where else are we going to go, folks? Where else are we going to go? This week we had a peer group I was met and with, meeting with, and I'm so goofy. <laughs> I can get in these songs, and I'll put them on repeat and just listen to them over and over and over again. And so this is King of My Heart. It's, it may not be your favorite, but it's mine. Uh, since I've heard it a couple summers ago, I just can't get it out of my head. And It's John Mark McMillan. John Mark McMillan has a really u- unique voice. You know, he almost growls when he sings, and his wife sings the verses. But against this phrase, you're never going to let. Can you say that with me? You're never going to let. Never going to let me down. I tell you, you know, I'm driving to Pickawa. Is that how you say it? And this song's repeating. And I'm reminded over and over and over again, there's lots of people and lots of things that may fail me, but my God has never let me down one time, and He won't. You're never going to let me down. Can you tell I didn't know how to end this one? I don't. <laughs> you know, we talking about hungering and thirsting for God. Can I tell you the reversal that's in the Bible over and over and again? Do you realize that God hungers and thirsts for you? <laughs> this is how God loved the world. He gave His one and only Son so that everyone who believes in Him will not perish have eternal life. This is real not love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. God of the universe hungers and thirsts for you. And in that hunger and thirst, He invites us to respond. Communion reminds us of that. (laughs) That, That Jesus desired us so much that He was willing to give His life for us. You know what the invitation is? that we hunger and thirst for Him so much that we're willing to give our lives back.